0: Welcome, everyone. This is Andrew Heath from J.D. Power. Uh, Delighted to welcome you to the fourth podcast as we continue to look at and discuss topics relevant to electric, natural gas and water utilities. Um, And maybe with a focus on this fourth podcast, um, leveraging some of the things we've learned and some of the insights from our recently published electric residential study. Um, So, with that in mind, um, I'm joined by two of my colleagues, um, Jeff Conklin and Eric Durdoff, and we're going to be sharing with you some of the thoughts that have triggered in our minds regarding what's going on, what customers are telling JD Power. Um, As many of you may or may not know, I'm actually based out in California. Um, We're right now in the middle of July, starting into our wildfire season. so it's going to be interesting. Uh, obviously, there are huge changes based on where we were 12 months ago. Um, most of the large investor-owned utilities have major programs in place for public safety, power shutoff. Uh, we don't have a major event as yet taking place, but the, uh, the concern here is clearly that as a risk escalates, that a utility may need to actually take down Uh, distribution or transmission connections for an extended period. Extended looks like it could be three or four days. So one thing our team is going to be doing is closely tracking it when it happens, but obviously then very carefully following up and understanding how customers respond to those events and what lessons we as an industry can learn as a consequence of these events taking place and maybe some things we can do that might be uh, improvements in the future. So obviously more to come on that. Um, and let us hope uh, across everyone that maybe we actually can avoid them in the first place but on the expectation it's going to happen we're ready and we're going to be uh, eagerly listening in and waiting to see what customers have to say so on that I mean one of the um, w- one of the other areas that we were looking at um, as you start thinking about operational items and um, it's great that Eric uh, is on our team Eric's, you've got a lot of experience on operational asset management aspects and how that influences the general area of customer satisfaction. I'm curious, uh, what are some of the things that you're finding, some of the thoughts you have about how that impacts overall voice of uh, customer feedback?
1: Sure, sure. Thanks, Andrew. Yeah, you know, if we look at the voice of the customer and several of the uh, top factors, uh, power quality and reliability, and then also the corporate citizenship, which – ties into company perception, and then really putting an operational lens on that. So, you know, what does that mean day in, day out at, at a utility of, of the things that they do that, that really impact those items? And, you know, certainly there's there's several items, um, you know, from operations to, you know, in the control room, real-time control of, of the grid, et cetera. Uh, but one thing I'm going to focus a little bit more on today is is the asset to work life cycle. So if you think about uh, utilities that are making uh, annual investments in their infrastructure, um, they're spending hundreds of millions of dollars, and, and some of them are even spending billions. So to get that right, there there are a lot of challenges.
0: I'm curious when you use that phrase asset to work life cycle, what have you what have you got in mind? Could you provide a little um, background on that?
1: Sure. So we're we're talking about um, the assets in the network. So for electric um, transmission and distribution system, that's the substations, uh, the transformers within the substations, the circuit breakers, transmission lines, the whole distribution network. And and if you think about it, it, it's it's a vast network and it is a lot to look after for utilities. So I'll I'll share with you um, a few insights of what some utilities are are doing in, in that regard. Um, you know, one, they're they're leveraging analytics uh, to look after their assets. And, and some do this um, there are a lot in the middle, and then uh, a few others are just doing this in, in a very basic fashion. But the reason why this is important is that, you know, the utilities want to address the most risky assets and take action on them. Uh, it's pretty obvious that that has a huge impact on The reliability of the network, and you know that's what the customers experience and see downstream. So the better a utility is able to make those decisions and put their their budgets towards those more risky assets, uh, the better. So um, does that does that make sense, uh, Andrew?
0: Yeah, it does. I I always I always think back about it, and it's sort of often going back maybe a few decades. It used to be as simple as. The older assets are the ones that get replaced, and you just work through in sequence. So, heck, this substation has reached a certain age. It's time to replace it. That, that transmission line needs updating because it's now been you know, in place for 60 years or whatever it might be. I'm hearing something different from you, Eric. It sounds like you're saying that that risk assessment element is now being brought into the discussion about which assets to address. Am I, am I hearing that correctly?
1: Yes, so it's going more beyond age. it's It's looking at the performance, the condition, the utilization, looking at many factors uh, of that asset and, and then uh, assigning a risk score to it. Um, and And then really having the utilities, you know, pay um, an increased attention to replacing those assets. So if you you think about it, um, you know some of the things like for example um, it, it's very obvious for an electric utility and, and their 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 goals towards uh, uh decommissioning their coal plants Th- that takes several years and and that's readily readily known but you know other items within their system of equipment that contains pcbs or asbestos which will have impact on the environment you know it's really good to prioritize those uh, along with things like like ash ponds you know it's just this could be problems just kind of waiting to happen. Now, if you look on the gas utility side, it's the ductile iron pipe and uh, the bare steel pipe that's in the ground, which is, is not favorable, and, and many utilities have, have a program uh, to replace those over time. But but really what I want to draw attention to is, you know, we've seen in, in some of our voice of the customer scores that where a utility has had a major incident, it it, it gets very difficult to recover from that. And we've also seen those same utilities then double down on the investment and acceleration of taking care of those risky assets after an event like that. So really, the the thing that I'm sharing today to think about is to, you know, why not advance the acceleration of the replacement of those items in advance of of any event happening, and and really, you know, just getting those out of your network. So it's really kind of taking stock of what you have, um, and, you know, safety, reliability, you know, that's really what's at stake here.
0: I think it's interesting. You can look at all three of our utility studies, water, natural gas, and electric. We have pretty much the same question in all three of them, which is, does, do you think, as a customer, the utility does a good job maintaining the infrastructure? So, you know, it's a great example that you were giving there of some of the things they can do. And, you know, e- even the best utilities are still only getting scores that may be getting up to 80% of people answering yes to that question. So clearly plenty of room for improvement regarding how customers perceive the proactive management of the assets by their utilities. So, yeah, it sounds like, you know, Definitely one of those areas where there's room for improvement and a great connection between how you operate the business and then how customers have an influence on the way you operate the business.
2: Eric, I was going to ask you, I'm curious, it's encouraging to hear about uh, utilities bringing more data into the uh, analytics of of asset management, replacement, uh, maintenance, et cetera. Have you seen any cases where they're bringing the voice of the customer in as one of those data points?
1: Uh, Yeah, they definitely are. And, uh, you know, some utilities are, are looking at uh, social media feeds. Uh, they're, they're certainly looking at the J.D. Power voice of customer and, you know, getting an understanding of where are those customers. And, you know, certainly they have their monitors on uh, on the grid and they know where their outages are through meter data. But putting that additional layer in there of the customers, um, you know, where the sentiment of the customers is, is, is definitely a, a, an additional layer they're looking at.
0: And I think if I'm hearing it right, Eric, I've heard some talk about using things like uh, customer satisfaction data from themselves or maybe our data to then actually help prioritize which bits of the assets get maintained. So, you know, how do you make sure with the resources available you can maximize the impact on all of your customers in terms of what it means to them? So, yeah, it's good to see the connection. Sure. So, Jeff, sure. you were you were making comments there. and. Welcome to the podcast. I was, I'm curious. I mean, one of the areas that on a sort of a, a different tag that we um, discussed a couple of weeks ago when we published our electric residential study was the growth of the general area of, of chat. So um, I, I, I want to say the phrase, I'd like to chat about chat. So what, what, what thoughts do you have and any insights regarding what's happening right now in our industry and the adoption rates regarding chat?
2: Yeah, so I was struck last week as as, uh, you all hosted um, the Best Practices webcast to our clients, and uh, John Hazen was covering in the customer service category some really good examples of utilities that are bringing forward chat as an engagement uh, mechanism, as an engagement channel uh, in customer care for their uh, customers. I think he used the example of uh, the electric power board in in Chattanooga, Tennessee. we're seeing it in multiple industries to varying degrees, obviously, um, the success of chat. Um, when I, however, when I looked at our numbers, um, if I go back and look at the 2017 study when we really started getting deep on understanding more about the chat channel as electric utility customers begin to use it, um, we've actually saw a bit of decline year over year over year the volume of customers using chat. It was nearly 4% in 2017 of customers said in the past 30 days they've had a chat experience. That went down to 3% in the initials at the 2%. Um, that seems like a pretty rational number, however, 2%, because as I look across to other uh, industries, particularly telecom, uh, cable, television, Internet providers, they're at about the 2% level of their customers saying that they're using chat as a, an engagement tool for customer care as well. So that makes sense. Um, probably one other industry that stands out a bit more that, I, that I've got some good data around is obviously in the wireless space, your mobile carriers. That's closer to 8 to 10% of customers uh, using chat to engage with those providers. So um, there's probably some up, upside, some ceiling in terms of over time where we might expect to see utility customers leveraging those kinds of channels. But the other dimension I wanted to point to was not only are we seeing a slight decline in volume we're also seeing a bit of decline in the ratings of chat experience with utilities so it seems like i'm not sure which is coming first and or chicken or the egg is it because utilities aren't really holding their end of the bargain and doing a very good job on execution through the chat channel is that why it's diminishing or is it just lack of need it's not clear yet i think it's something we need to keep an eye on
0: so I'm curious, Jeff. Just to be clear, the the two percent, three percent, four percent numbers you mentioned, am I right thinking that's of all the customers, not just the ones making contact? Is is that right?
2: That's correct. It's two percent of all customers. Correct. Yeah. yeah. And again, um, that's that's a volume compatible to some other markets that seem to be representative of that sort of a, a service level. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So we, you know, cross when you start talking about. The scale of our studies with 100,000 people, you get some pretty significant samples in there, albeit still only 2%. Do you you think it's possible that maybe the chat experiences are now just becoming more challenging? You know, people are capable of self-serving elsewhere. Some of the simpler questions and things they've done on chat in the past, they're not doing on chat because they can do it themselves. Could that be a possibility? I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to understand it, kind of, kind of like you right now in terms of, well, what's driving this? It's interesting.
2: I suppose that could be part of it, although as I look at the reasons why, those haven't evolved very dramatically over the past two, three years. Um, I, look, I just think chat's, chat's a challenging function to get right. It's, it's different than just having an agent trained to talk on the phone. Um, one of the things I know we've seen from uh, talking to our colleague Mark Miller, who runs our contact center advisory team, and what we're seeing uh, across industries is for chat, what's most important is the timeliness of, of taking the customer through the process of resolving their issue. That's been that way for several years. But what's emerging, interestingly, is the second most impactful aspect of a chat experience is the courtesy of the rep. Um, and you can imagine there's multiple ways you can connote courtesy uh, through a chat-like um, channel of exchange. So uh, the obvious things of you know asking, you know, please, can I have your – information about your problem and thank you for explaining it clearly and you know, please and thank you a lot but I'm sure there's other elements that get into courtesy elements like not trying to repeat questions or asking for information that should have otherwise been available or provided to them so look, it's a challenging function to get right I think I think utilities are still sort of in the early days of figuring out how well they can make it work
0: Yeah that makes sense and it's, it's, it's interesting that it's different from other channels and there's ways of thinking about it differently I know it's you know, you and Eric and myself have a chance to meet with utilities. This is a topic a lot of them are talking about, and some of them have got it. Some of them are thinking about actually providing chat services. So it's important that we learn the lessons and don't just go at it like it's the same set of drivers as the website or the phone, because clearly that's not the case. So I always enjoy these discussions. Thank you, um, Eric. Thank you, Jeff, for joining us on the uh, podcast today, and thanks to everyone who's uh, been listening in. Uh, In conclusion, I would like to just uh, remind everyone, especially those who are J.D. Power study subscribers of our electric residential study, um, based on feedback from many of the folks in the industry, we've we've migrated that study so that it is now a calendar year study. So all of the data, um, all of our surveys will take place in 2020. Uh, We'll publish the results also in December 2020. Uh, That means we've got a... A six-month period where we will be continuing to field and we will get feedback from your customers so if you've not done so already just make sure you've contacted our team to ensure the continuity of that data so on that point, um, thanks all again and look forward to being able to reconnect with you on the next podcast